This is a Romy cast. This podcast was recorded in January of 2022. Is he dead? Sit you down, Father. Rescue. Take 12. Very excited. Can we just have a little less guitar in the earphones? Oh, no, it's The bit that John finally got just after that, and we were both of the do what you want to do. Not bad, that one. Keep that one. Market fab. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me. Me is Paul Romanuk. That's me. Join me, and let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album. My guest on this episode is songwriter, singer, and player James Clark, a.k.a. the James Clark Institute. We'll meet James in just a moment, but first I'd like to direct you to the podcast website, which is romycast.com that is r-o-m-y-c-a-s-t.com if you head there you can find each and every episode that we have done so far in this podcast series this is the 15th episode of series two you can find the first 14 episodes of this series as well as all 15 episodes of series one and if you see fit could you please make a donation to support keeping the podcast commercial Commercial free. Any donation is much appreciated, and your donation goes towards offsetting the costs of the show. Web hosting, advertising, some equipment costs. It's a labor of love and a, a hobby for me, but if you enjoy the show, please consider a donation to support the show. Maybe just a couple of dollars per episode. It's not that much. Just to click on the donate button at the website to get the process started. And thank you in advance for that. Uh, along those lines, big shout out to Vern Smith. Uh, Vern sent along a, a nice note with his donation. You can send a note with your donation if you like the, using the platform that I use to collect donations. Uh, Vern said, hi, Paul. I enjoy the pod a lot and have for the last year or so. I get your message about living in a world where we expect podcasts and music to be free and how that can make it tough for the people who create these things. Uh, Looking forward to many more episodes. Vern, thank you very, very much for your kind message and for your donation. Uh, I I do hope that message is resonating with people somewhat, not just in regards to this podcast, but loads of other very good podcasts, uh, many of them much better than this one. Help them out 
if you can. If you'd like to make a donation, I'll give you a shout out as well. Just visit the website to get the process started. The website is romicast.com. Also, if you don't already, please subscribe to the show via your favorite podcast provider. And if you could, leave a positive review or rating at the site. Uh, Now, I know you can do that at the Apple platform for podcasts, which is where I have most of my listeners. I also have quite a few listeners on Spotify, and they just started not that long ago, a few weeks ago, where you can leave a rating uh, and a few comments if you'd want. And so I could use some on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify... Uh, help me out. Uh, it won't cost you a penny, just a few moments of your time. So thank you. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at the handle Romanuk Paul. That is Romanuk Paul. There's also a Facebook group page. Just get on Facebook and do a search for The Walrus Was Paul podcast and you will find it. My guest today came to my attention via musician and producer Mo Berg, who has been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. I asked Mo what artists he was working with as a producer that were getting him excited. And he immediately offered up the name James Clark, James Clark Institute. In Mo's words, the guy writes great songs. And if you are a fan of the Beatles music, you'll appreciate James Clark's music. So I got a hold of James and I got a hold of some of his music. And then I asked him if he'd like to come on and talk about an album. So here you are. Uh, James's music features intelligent lyrics, some good arrangements, and has a feel to my ears uh, of the Beatles. There's a Beatles influence there. Also the Kinks, more specifically Ray Davies. But very intelligent lyrics, the likes of which you get from people, think of uh, Joe Jackson or Elvis Costello, that kind of vibe. That's what it seemed to me. His latest record, and by his own admission, probably the best record that he has ever made, is out now, and it's called The Color of Happy. If you'd like to purchase a copy of the record and to find out loads about James and his work, visit his website, clarkinstitute.com. Clark Institute, one word, no E in Clark. So C-L-A-R-K, institute.com. You can see his videos on his YouTube channel. You can follow him on Twitter. The handle is the JCI. that is the JCI. On Instagram, James Clark Institute. And on Facebook, do a search for James Clark Institute. Uh, And his new album and many of his other albums streaming on all platforms. You can get them there and you can purchase downloads if you'd like by going to his Bandcamp page. All right, so that's all covered. Uh, Let's get down to this. James, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about the Beatles. Of course, anytime, anytime somebody wants to talk about the Beatles, I'm all ears and mouth. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. So you have chosen to uh, to talk about uh, the 1973 solo release by Ringo Starr called Ringo. Uh, what made mm-hmm. you pick this record? Well, uh, okay, um, 
long story, I guess. But I mean, first of all, I think I think it's a great album. It still is a great album. I listened to it just just the other night, just to sort of refamiliarize with the album because I've not heard it in probably at least twenty years or something. But uh, it was probably I, I grew up loving the Beatles. I had a, uh, an older brother who was four years older than me, and he was a huge Beatles fan. And between the two of us, we collected all the Beatles records and uh, and the solo albums. And my brother was uh, collecting all of the John and Paul and George albums, so that only left me to 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 uh collect the Ringo albums and um so I think this was this I had bought the Boku of Blues album I remember when that came out and I was just a tiny kid but but I bought it and disappointed with it because it was a total country album and as a kid I really wasn't into country music much but uh, I've learned to really appreciate it but uh, at the time I was disappointed but I remember um, so 1973 I remember the album came out in November of 73 if I recall correctly and my, my birthday's in, in November and my grandmother my grandmother had given me some some birthday money so I went up to the mall to Sam the Record Man and I saw the Ringo album there and I loved, I loved the cover art. First of all, it's just to me, it just blew me away. The illustration on the cover was just incredible, and so, and it was Ringo, so I had to buy it. So I bought it with my birthday money. Well, well what's uh, at home and loved it. Mm -hmm. Well, and loved it, right? But, but a couple of things there. Uh, I mean. Buku's of Blues, uh, same thing. Uh, I remember listening to that and going, "Oh man, this is this yeah. is really <laughs> shit." It's all this country and western stuff, and, and now it's. Right. I, 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 I look on it as sort of a hidden gem. I left Louisiana. I had me big plans to go out and take me all over this land to see me the world. I left my sweet girl and gave it a whirl, but now here I stand Alongside the road, with holes in my soul, in my shoes He had all, all, the, Nashville, all the Nashville cats playing on that album, you know, from the time, from the era, it was just, it's great but when when you when you're ten years old, you, it doesn't hit you like that. You know? Well, 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 maybe you can come back one day and do Bukus of Blues because you know, nobody has picked that yet. Uh, it's a gem. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a gem. But mm -hmm. but here's one, James, because similar to me uh, or similar to you, I hadn't listened to it in quite a while, and then you chose it for the podcast, and I thought, oh, great! Like I I have great memories of that record, and I've listened to it a couple mm. of times preparing for this, and. It is. It is just such a fun, enjoyable listen. It, it's just. It's such a fun record. But what I want to ask you is, how does it sound to you now, as opposed to what you remember it sounding to you mm -hmm. then? What's the difference between listening now and then? Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of difference. You know, I, I thought about that when I was putting the record on the turntable. I thought, how am I gonna, you know, am I gonna enjoy this as much as I did back then? And and because uh, I remember when it came out on CD, I collected it because it had the, the bonus tracks. And and back, but back then, it did not hit me, you know, on CD as it did when I first heard it, in 1973. But I I played it the other night and. I love it, and maybe it's nostalgia now, part of it. I'm not sure, but I still think the songs are great. The performances are fantastic. You know, the the, the guest stars on the album are just phenomenal. I mean, you know, first of all, John Paul, 
Paul, John, Paul, and George are all over the record. You know, he's got the band on the album. He's got uh, Harry Nelson. He's got Mark Bolin. He's got all these incredible, you know, people on this record. So, and and the the songs are just they're really well crafted songs. So I, I think I felt it was almost like hearing it again for the first time for me. Yeah, night, I, I, I had a similar experience listening. But the thing that struck me is, is you know, there aren't, especially side one, which we're going to get into in a second, there aren't really many mm. clangers. Like it just kind of, no. it's the hits keep coming. The, the only clanger for me, and it's not even a clanger, but it's, uh, you know, you're 16 on the last track on side one, you know, which is not a clanger, but, you know, it's an old 50s rock and roll song and you know which is what Ringo was sort of known for back then right doing the old 50s rock and roll songs but that's the only one that I could I could skip over on the record I think yeah. if I had to pick one yeah, yeah. well I love yeah, it but, so I love that one so we'll discuss it <laughs> okay <laughs> but, but I, I, I like it for many reasons but you know like I said it's, it's probably my least favorite on the album. So I, I want to read you uh, a little quote from your website and then just, just get your reaction to it. So uh, when he wasn't listening to his parents' early rock and roll and country and Western records, James, persuaded by his guitar-playing older brother, settled in behind the drum kit and discovered the artists that would influence him. Lennon and McCartney, Ray Davies, and Elvis Costello. So what captivated you about those particular styles as a kid? Um, well, I mean, uh, I grew up as a kid throughout the sixties and I don't remember much of the sixties, but, uh, my, my brother, like I said, was a huge Beatles fan. And so we, we grew up with those songs and, and they're just, you know, they're, uh, well-crafted songs, uh, Lennon McCartney, uh, just genius writers and, uh, you know they're timeless. They're timeless, and and they and they learn from the best as well, and so they really they learned how to to write a song, and 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 they were fun, and it was also you know also part of it was probably watching them in in Hard Day's Night and Help, the um they were just really entertaining guys, and they were a lot of fun, and and it looked like you know I wanted to be a band in a band after watching these Beatles films because it just seemed like wow this is this is for me this is what i want to do with my life you know so uh so i think it was a combination of of their visual appearance and and their personalities and and of course the songs of course uh as far as elvis costello goes um i love i love lyrics that's a big part of my writing um i take lyrics lyric writing very seriously and and you know, um, I, I think he's a brilliant writer in that aspect. And so, um, what what he's what he was writing about, I could really really connect with because I, I felt like he was really really putting something extra into his lyrics into his songs. Well, we will talk about uh, some of your music, including your uh, your new album, and go through some of those lyrics. But right now, before we we delve into Ringo, I just want to give a little bit of context as to sort of what was going on around it. So, Ringo Starr was the last of the four Beatles to release a proper album after the band had split. By the time early 1973 had rolled around, John Lennon had released Plastic Ono Band, 
uh, imagined sometime in New York City, and uh, he was about to begin work on Mind Games. Paul McCartney had done McCartney, Ram, Wildlife, and was putting together Red Rose Speedway for release. George Harrison had done All Things Must Pass and the concert for Bangladesh, and he was working on completing Living in the Material World. Now, Ringo had taken a slightly different tack. Uh, Not long after the Beatles had split, he released an album of traditional standards from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and early 50s. And uh, he said about that album, I was brought up with all of those songs, you know. My family used to sing those songs. My mother and dad, my aunties and uncles, they were the first musical influences on me. And that album was Sentimental Journey, and it came out in March of 1970. And then in September of 1970, Ringo released a country album that we talked about a, a few moments ago, Bukus of Blues. Neither album enjoyed any chart success on either side of the Atlantic. Now, Ringo did enjoy some chart success in 1971 when he released a single, It Don't Come Easy. George Harrison plays the guitar in the song Klaus Vormann is on bass. It hit number four in the UK uh, and the US. It hit number one in Canada. Then in March of 1972, he released Back Off Boogaloo, number two in the UK and Canada, number nine in the US. Harrison, Vorman, and pianist Gary Wright all played on the track. But as of 1973, Ringo had not recorded an album of pop songs. He was more into developing his film career. He'd been in the Magic Christian, uh, 200 Motels, that was the Frank Zappa kind of freak-out movie, Blind Man, uh, and another one, That'll Be the Day, a, a cool little British film if you ever see it poking around. So the early genesis of this album came out of Ringo crossing paths with superstar record producer Richard Perry in March of 1972. Ringo was recording a drum part for a track track on Harry Nilsson's Son of Schmilson album, which Perry was producing. The two talked a little bit about working together. Then about a year later, the two crossed paths again in Nashville when they were both in town for the Grammy Awards. Ringo apparently called Perry up and said, uh, hey, why don't we cut a few tracks while we're both in Nashville? But Perry suggested they do the session in Los Angeles. So on Monday, March the 5th, 1973, Ringo and Richard Perry head into Sunset Sound Recorder Studios in LA to begin sessions for what would be the Ringo album. These initial sessions run until March the 27th, during which time they record at least 10 tracks. Further sessions take place at Burbank Sound Studio sound labs and producers workshop in la there's also a session at the beatles own apple studios in london as well as at emi studios aka abbey road studios Uh, ringo puts out the clarion call to his musical friends for help on his first pop record and the uh, la sessions feature mark bolan four members of the band uh, billy preston klaus vorman nicky hopkins harry nilson jim keltner james booker martha reeves uh, dave bromberg Tom Scott, uh, and, oh, in case you missed it, uh, Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison also (laughs) appear on the album. Uh, Now, Ringo has referred to this as his accidental album. Since the project was planned at the last minute and many of his collaborators just happened to be in L.A. for other reasons, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. The album came out on November the 2nd, 1973, within days of John Lennon's release of Mind Games, and it entered the Billboard chart at number 15. 
Christine, eventually making it to number two on the album chart, prevented from topping the chart by what album? What album do you think kept him from number one? Think back to that uh, that era. 19, 1973. Uh, hmm. Hmm. How about <sighs> Goodbye Yellow Brick Road? Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Total yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah right. right. So, uh, <laughs> so that kept him over the top spot. The album hit number seven in the UK charts. In, in Canada, it topped the RPM chart for one week. Uh, deposing Don't Mess With Jim by Jim Croce Mm. uh, before being knocked out the following week by the life and times of Jim Croce. In case you're wondering, uh, a lot of Jim Croce love then in terms of airplay Mm -hmm. because he had died that previous September and and, uh, that pushed his last couple of albums up the charts. Uh, The album has sold over a million copies in the USA, better than Lennon's Mind Games, released at the same time, better than McCartney's Red Rose Speedway, released the same year, and better than Harrison's Living in the Material World, also released in 73. Uh, Famously, after it outperformed Lennon's album, he sent his old bandmate, Lennon did, a telegram, sent a telegram to Ringo, it said, congratulations, how dare you? Now write me a hit song. So, That's so good. That is so good. Oh man, <laughs> it, it's it's amazing that that Ringo Ringo would end up being, you know, the the, the biggest selling Beatle or ex Beatle for a time. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I find that I find that uh, quite quite amusing. He but, was. He had. You know, yeah. this this was a big album, and he was the first ex Beatle to have back to back number one hits in the Billboard chart. Both were tracks that came off of this Ringo album. So mm-hmm. so let's get the album out of the sleeve. We'll put it on the turntable and put the needle down on song one, cut one, I'm the Greatest. When I was a little boy Way back home in Liverpool My mama told me I was great was a teenager I knew that I had got something going All my friends told me This, I think, is it's a great song to to, um, start the album off with. I think this is my favorite song on the album. Um, And, and, I mean, it's a John Lennon song and I love I love John's harmony vocal in it. It's it's amazing. I love the fact you know John's on it, George is on it, Klaus Vorman plays bass, uh, Billy Preston is on it. So we've got almost almost a Beatles reunion on this one track, and I think it's the song. I think it's the only song that featured you know more than two Beatles on a, on a Beatles solo album um, until I mean the I guess probably the anthology songs that, that they did in the 90s but i think yeah i think that's i think that's right um i love this song i just i think it's great and i was reading um recently about what john said about it and he, he wrote it i think he wrote it in the early 70s and uh didn't i've heard demos of it but he didn't uh, actually release it and he said that uh you know if he, if, if he had released a version of it that people would just take the lyrics so seriously uh whereas with when Ringo sings it it's just it's a little bit more fun and you know there's there's nothing to nothing to complain about he's just he's just sort of mocking himself 
course, if John ever leaves it, which is people, people taking him seriously. Oh, you're the greatest, are you? <laughs> well, and that, that's the, the quote is, he said, uh, you're exactly right. He said, it's the Muhammad Ali line. I couldn't sing it, but it was perfect for Ringo. He could say, I'm the greatest and people wouldn't get upset. Whereas if I said it, they'd all take it so seriously. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think he's absolutely right there. Yeah. Uh, but I think I just love the song. Absolutely love it. Uh, so here's the story from Richard Perry, the producer of the album, who uh, we'll talk about over, over the course of this show. But here's how he relates the story. It was the first time I had met John, and to say that it was an exciting experience to work with him would be a gross understatement. It was really unique and quite special and something I shall never forget. We started to run the song down. It wasn't quite complete, and there was also that very special thrill of experiencing a song being completed in the studio by John Lennon. We all sort of gathered around the piano and chipped in our ideas and helped complete it. Then the phone rang, and it was George, who said, I hear there's a track going on. Is it okay if I come down? So I said, hold on a minute. And I asked John if it was okay. I mean, here I am asking John if George can come down. So John says, yes, of course. Tell him to get down here and help me finish this bridge. And that was very much like John. It was on that session that the three Beatles played for the first time since the split. Paul, I'm sure, would have been there too, but it was a time when he couldn't come into the country. So it happened just like that. I remember reading uh, or hearing as a kid some some rumor that they had so much fun recording this track that they thought about um, uh, uh, reforming the Beatles without Paul. They just had this so much fun recording it. Well, th there was, I mean, it, it set the music press ablaze, uh, and John mm -hmm. Lennon, uh, you know, they were all kind of, they're going to reform the band with Klaus Vorman stepping in for Paul and so right, on, right. And, and John Lennon yeah. at the time said, uh, it just happened that the three of us were there, and it wasn't anything incredibly significant, but it was enjoyable. I think it was more interesting or glamorous for the people around us who were saying, there were three of them there instead of just one or two, but we were just mm -hmm. being ourselves. When you get down to work we were just musicians we're not stars we're just musicians and that was mm. lennon's recollection of it uh, billy preston later overdubbed some organ on the track uh there is a demo version kicking around that, that uh, on the john lennon uh, anthology box set uh, right right where he has this yeah. on here uh I love the part, like, there's so many things to love about it. It's such a Lennon song, but it's such a Ringo song. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and that's why I love hearing the two voices together on the track, you know? Now, I, I can't think of a... Was there a Beatles cut where they sang together? Just just them? I, I can't don't think, think of, so. No, I can't think of one. No. I can't think... No. <laughs> If you can think of one, uh, dear listener, then uh, I'm sure you'll let me know. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, I think the, it makes uh, it makes it pretty unique, actually. And the other one, the thing I love about it, I, I made me smile yesterday listening to it. The the audio reference to Sergeant Pepper's after he says, you know, yes, my name is Billy Shears, and then the, <laughs> yeah, the fake crowd comes in. Yeah, 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 just just like on, I even oh, yeah, that was I, remember, good. I remember picking up on that first time I heard it, you know, as a kid. I thought, wow, this is great, you know. <laughs> uh, 
so uh, just, I, it's, a, it's a perfect track it, and it's a great album opener like it's a, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's a perfect yes. one now so so on this album we have songwriting from all four Beatles I mean this is a John song uh, Sunshine, Sunshine Life for Me Sail Away Raymond is a solo George song uh, there's a solo Ringo track Step Lightly and a McCartney track Six O'Clock which is a, a co-write with uh, Linda uh, nothing mm-hmm. to my ear sounds like a Beatle track per se. Uh, nothing sounds as Beatly, as a matter of fact, as a song from your 2016 album, Yesterday's Misadventures, called <laughs> The Devil's Punch Bowl. Uh, I mean, Holy Strawberry Fields Forever Mellotron at the opening. The Ah right, voices right. in the. It is a Beatles pastiche first class. Tell me about the song. Baby's got chaos in her veins. Lightning bolts at the break of day But she can't run away From the devil's parade The devil's escapades Baby's got madness in a glance Take two steps back and ask her to dance But she don't stand a chance With the devil's serenade Devil's lemonade. The devil seems to know just what I think. The devil's in her soul. Don't let her drink from his punch bowl. Well, uh, I remember having. Uh, it took me a while to write this. I had the the C major to F minor um, progression going back and forth, and I just loved it. That well, this is very very Beatles, but I I couldn't really get past that. So. Um, it was actually I was driving out towards Hamilton one day, and there is an actual um, conservation area called the Devil's Punch Bowl. And I saw the name, I thought, "Wow, that's a great name for a song." And it just seemed to all just flow together soon after that. And um, Mo Berg produced produced the song for us, and I remember sending him the demo, and he really liked the song. And it was his actual it was his idea to add the Mellotron in the beginning of it to yeah to give it that just to give it that Beatles uh, extra um, tribute I guess yeah it, it is but, a uh, it is a it, great it, it tra- really well I it, thought yeah it's a great track I, I really like it it's the devil's punch bowl and it's not from the new album that's out right now we'll we'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later on but uh, you can find it on Bandcamp or you know, stream it on uh, it's on Tidal or Spotify wherever mm-hmm. you want but really cool song uh, and a real oh, kind of nice you know uh, chapeau tip towards the Beatles there uh, oh yeah absolutely <laughs> you, you must have had a smile on your face listening and playback though it just especially oh, yeah. with the mellotron yeah, yeah i was there when we were putting down the mellotron track and i thought well okay <laughs> this is this is pretty fab you know <laughs> Uh, so we go on to cut two on the Ringo album, side one, cut two, and Have You Seen My Baby, a song written by the absolutely huge talent who is Randy Newman.
I didn't know who Randy Newman was as a kid, but uh, I became a big fan of his later on. And uh, I remember, you know, going through uh, a used record shop once through his through the Randy Newman section and on back one of the albums, seeing "Have You Seen My Baby?" I thought. Oh, I wonder if that's hold on, and uh, and it was, it was. So, uh, but I, I think it's a great track. I think I love the uh, the Mark Bolan guitar solo on it. It's pretty. It's something pretty special. Uh, I think yeah, it's just a great track, great rock and roll track. Randy Newman. Uh, it's from an album called Twelve Songs, uh, and he released. Right. He did his version in 1970. Although uh, the versions are similar, but Ringo's is about a minute longer, and uh, to my ears, maybe a little funkier, a little more produced. Oh, maybe definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And and Randy Newman, for those of you who may not be that familiar with him, uh, huge talent. I mean, uh, I'll put his uh, a link to his Wikipedia page up on uh, the podcast website. But uh, there's even a, a bit of a Canadian connection there. He was sort of a house arranger for Warner Brothers uh, and did some work with Gordon Lightfoot on the Sit Down Young Stranger album. He did the uh, the arrangements for Minstrel of the Dawn and Approaching Lavender. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't I mean, know that. And then you, you talked about Mark Boland, so just a fantastic uh, guitar solo. But uh, how about also the uh, the piano work from James Booker? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Just uh, solid performances by everybody on the track, for sure. And I know uh, Mark Boland, and and I think that's the only track that Mark Boland, the only Ringo track Mark Boland ever appeared on, which I find strange in a way because they were they were really good buddies there for a while. I remember uh, Gringo directed his his film Born to Boogie in '72, uh, so they were they were good pals. I think they they hung out a lot together. So I was surprised that that's the only track that he's on on this on this album. And, and apparently, Bolin was the inspiration for Back Off Boogaloo. Uh, uh, yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, I, I, I guess it was uh, it was a phrase that he used. Uh, you know, hey, Boogaloo, Boogaloo. Right. Yeah, yes, he used it a lot in his songs, right? like Born a Boogie and and oh, there's there's numerous songs where he's talking about uh, getting getting down and and boogie. Uh, and, and James Booker, who I mentioned, uh, legendary uh, New Orleans rhythm and blues keyboard guy, no longer with us. He worked with Doctor John. Uh, among others uh, was called in the day was uh, referred to as the Black Liberace incredible player uh, and uh, tragically uh, died at a young age. Uh, the horns mm. for the track, you know, the amazing Tom Scott. Like, it's, it's a who's who on this thing. Uh, that's the thing about Ringo, right? He could always just gather a great bunch of friends or always, they just seem to be always willing to, to uh, come in and, you know, join the party and play on his albums. Yeah, he, he had that ability to, to pick up the phone and, and get some great names to come out and help him and uh, and, and some great... Mm-hmm. Now, now, this uh, just getting back to Randy Newman for a sec, I mean, this particular song, you know, probably not a prime example, but uh, Newman could be a pretty sophisticated composer with a, a gift for, like yourself, a, a gift for clever lyrics. Uh, if you're looking for an example, mm-hmm. his 1974 album, Good Old Boys, full of clever songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I tell her uh, from your new album, The Color of Happy, 
Uh, great album. Uh, it, it, it was described by one reviewer as something that Joe Jackson could have written, which to me is, is pretty high compliment. And I, I get yeah. what he meant. So, you uh, know, backbone, I lack bone. I'm all out of sync. My mind has a mind of its own, I think. Uh, so when you're when you're writing stuff, you say you, you take great pains with your lyrics. Uh, mm-hmm. Does it does it hit you when you've hit on a clever lyric or something good, or do you need to run it by someone else to confirm it? I usually know. I usually know. You know, there's a there's a gut feeling that that I get when when I know I've written something that's you know that I like. And if I like it, then then I think it's pretty good. Uh, there, you know, there's the odd time I run it by the, by a friend or or, or uh, my partner, and uh, you know, just to confirm, I guess. But but I I think I know. I think I know when I've stumbled across something that's that's worth releasing. Yeah, but I can agonize over it forever. You know, it, I, I'm not a quick writer. Did you know it for this song? Should I tell her? Like, right? Away, did you go ah? Because uh, my my first listen, and you know, first listen is the best listen. Sometimes I was like, wow, that that's this is it, like lots of hooks, and it's really clever. And you know what? Actually, this one did come to be pretty pretty quickly, and I can't explain that because that doesn't happen very often. But this one did come pretty quickly, and I knew I knew right away I was, I was onto something. Yeah. Should I tell her what goes on inside of my head? I know I owe her an explanation for the contradictions I've said Setting her the missing clues before she becomes a misled Should I tell her what goes on inside of my so the song is called Should I Tell Her, and it's on the new album, The Color of Happy. And do yourself a favor. You can either go to uh, James's website or uh, just uh, do a, a quick search on YouTube and find the video for it. Uh, my, It's a great video, but my favorite thing that I watched it a couple of times, by far the cleverest thing, uh, is... He sings a line, working out the kinks, and he's standing on a bridge, and the camera zooms in, and uh, he is holding the Kinks debut album under his arm. <laughs> that was so... Oh, you caught that. Oh, you caught that. <laughs> that was so... Cl- Whose idea was that? Yours or the director's? That was actually my idea. I think that was probably the only idea I had in that video. I said to Sean, Sean Ryan, who directed it, who is a, a brilliant director, and he's, he directs uh, videos for a lot of independent people in Toronto, and we worked together on the last two albums. I think we've done maybe six or seven videos together. But uh, it was all his concept. But I said, hey, look... Can we just sneak this in in this line? I would really like this. And so he, he said, "Yeah, sure, of course." So, yeah, he was all up for it. It was really, it was really clever. Uh, it's, it's a oh, clever thanks. track, thanks. and that that when I saw that in the video, that did that, that made the track for me. I just went, "Ah, that's so sharp." <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, yeah, that's sort of uh, expressing my love for Ray Davis and his writing. Always been a big Kings fan. Well, uh, speaking of good writing. Uh, f- Pretty hard to uh, to better the next song, uh, and it was a big hit. It was the lead-off single off the album. It was an official collaboration between Ringo and Harrison, and I'm talking about the number one Billboard hit, number one in Canada, uh, number eight in the UK, Photograph.
Lovely track. Uh, I love the production on this. Just it's it's so lush. I love the strings on this track. Um, George Harrison's playing a twelve-string acoustic guitar, which sounds lovely throughout the tune. Uh, and I, you know, I heard this. Like I said, I played the album a few nights ago, and uh, this song still hits me emotionally. You know, I don't know what it is, but it still gets me. You know, right here. Um, it's. It's just the production, I suppose, of the whole thing. It's just, it's just beautiful. It, it, it is beautifully done. Uh, the arrangement by a guy named uh, Jack Nietzsche. Uh, and, uh, that's right. That's right. I forgot that. Yeah. 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 The, the choir and the orchestra. Uh, now, here's you know small world at the time, right? Uh, Jack Nietzsche was the arranger for most of Phil Spector's hit records. That's right. Uh, so there's a Spectre mm-hmm. tie-in, Spectre from Let It Be, and he goes the the full deal. Uh, I mean, two drummers, so the double drums, the Spectre double mm-hmm. drums, Jim Keltner and Ringo, three acoustics. You know, Vinnie Poncia and uh, who is a Spectre contributor of, of keyboards and writing with Spectre. Jimmy Calvert, veteran LA session player, uh, played with Tommy James and the Shondells, Ohio Express and so on. And then George, as you mentioned on that beautiful 12 string. And then you've got Nicky Hopkins on the piano, mm-hmm. big sax solo from Bobby Keys, uh, Lon and Derek Von Eaton with the, you know, the castanets, you know, like the, <laughs> it, it is the full mm-hmm. Spectre wall of sound. Uh, like it did beautiful. And it's it. I think it stands up over time. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like I said, it it still hits me emotionally when I hear this song. Um, you know, not that I'm I'm not that I'm uh, visually crying, but uh, you know, there's just this that emotion that sort of wells up inside of me when I hear this. And it's not like the you know the lyrics are anything you know great. I mean, they're they're perfect for the song, but. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, it's like I said, the whole production of it is just everyone's performance on this song. And I would, you know, it's, it's so great. How with, with, with the, uh, the, the people that are playing on this track, uh, how could you end up with a flop? I don't know, <laughs> but um, true. So, you know, it's, it's almost guaranteed just with, with the people performing on it. But yeah, I, I just love it. Uh, the, the story behind the writing is that, uh, Ringo and George had Ringo had started work on it when he was shooting Blind Man, uh, and then he headed as you do, I guess, when you're a rock star millionaire. He had uh, he had rented a yacht, um, and so they were at this yacht, and this was for the Monaco Film Festival, I believe, and he was there for that. George came along with Patty Boyd to be his guest, and then he was hanging around for the Monaco Grand Prix. So. Scylla Black, old friend from Mm. Liverpool, was also there. And she recalls Starr and Harrison working on the song and playing Photograph during an evening get-together and uh, everybody kicking ideas around for lyrics. And she says that she loved the song and she said, hey, um, maybe you could give that to me and and I could record it. And Ringo said, it's too bloody good for you. I'm having it myself. <laughs> uh, Ringo, uh, Harrison recorded an early version of the song for Living in the Material World, um, but mm. that's never seen the light of day. Now, I want to ask you, so you talk about the, the, the effect that this song has on you. 
This, to me, uh, James, is a song that uh, has, the meaning has changed since it was written. When it was written, it was, you know, about, hey, I only have a photograph, we've split up, you know, sort of a variation on the boy meets girl, and there's a million songs about that. But Ringo came out to sing it at the concert for George in 2002, and he said, Mm. the song has a different meaning now, meaning, hey, man, he's gone, and all I have is a photograph. Uh, absolutely yeah i recall seeing that concert yeah um absolutely and uh i think about that myself now when i listen to it i can't help but think about you know the uh, the deeper the deeper meaning to it now so so do do you have songs like that Do, do you have songs whose meaning meanings or meaning or meanings have changed over time and they mean something different now as we sit here talking in uh, in 2022 than they did when you wrote them in 2016 or 2008 or whenever you wrote it well i you know paul i really wish i had a a better answer but no (laughs) (laughs) no uh what i write about i mean it's for me anyways no the the meanings have not changed uh they're still about the people that I wrote them about. And uh, I still think about those people whenever I have to play that song. I still, you know, yeah. Meanings have not changed. Not yet. Yeah, no, just just curious. Uh, got- good question, good question. But, uh, yeah, I wish I had a better answer. Oh, hey, I mean, nothing at all wrong with the answer. Uh, I just, I've, I've asked that question before, and I've had some artists say that, yes, since they wrote the song 10 or 20 years ago, you know, whatever, uh, I was an angry young man and meant this and that, and, but uh, now it's taken on a different meaning. Uh, and other artists have said exactly what you just said. So uh, I just want to take a quick quick moment here to sort of zero a message in on any musicians who listen to this podcast or perhaps people who manage musicians, uh, help them to, to get the word out there. Uh, I'd like to ask you, hey, how would you like a custom podcast like this one in support of your next album launch? We'll go through your album, new or old, track by track exactly the way I do with Beatles albums on this podcast. You can then use the podcast to promote your work the way you'd like it to be promoted. You can use it on social channels or maybe even a special bonus that you send out to your fan club members or patrons if you go that route. If that sounds like an idea that might interest you, then get in touch with me via my website, romicast.com, R-O-M-Y-C-A-S-T.com, and we'll take it from there. And also, uh, if you'd like to receive the once in a while, absolutely free, the Walrus Was Paul newsletter, that's not just directed to musicians, that's anybody who listens to the podcast and follows along. Uh, I'll usually send out the newsletter and maybe preview some upcoming episodes, toss in the odd bit of trivia or factoid. You can receive that email blast by going to the website and registering. It is absolutely free and you can stop at any time and I don't send out a lot of junk anyways. Uh, 
So let's get back into side one of Ringo. And from the track that is probably the most well-known on the album, Photograph, we go to a bit more of, uh, what do we say now, uh, a deep cut, <laughs> an obscure track, uh, a George Harrison Wright with a spectacular supporting cast of musicians and uh, a real country bluegrassy feel to it. Sunshine life for me. Sail away, Raymond. It's a sunshine life for me. If I could get away from this cloud over me, seems to just follow me around. It's a sunshine life. Yeah, I have to say when when uh, when I bought the album as a kid, this was maybe my least favorite song, probably because it had that country feel to it. And as I said earlier, I just wasn't really a big country music fan as a kid. But uh, this song is really it really grew on me over the years, and uh, it's now one of my favorite songs on the album. I think it's a great track. Um, the band are all over this this song. Uh, I think George George seems some harmony in it, which is always nice to hear. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, like I said, it's grown on me a lot since uh, 1973. I, I think we have similar tastes because I was, uh, I was, you know, we felt the same about Bukus of Blues and I felt the same. Of, this was a, when I was a kid, uh, I was 12 years old when, when I got this album. Um, and that w- it was a definite skip over track. Uh, you yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I grew up in a house where my mother loved country music, and country music was played in the house all the time. Country music radio, and um, I just maybe I was just you know uh, it's almost like a, it was like a punishment at the time uh, to wake up every morning and have to listen to country music. But uh, but uh, as I said, I've 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 grown to appreciate it a lot since then. Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned earlier about Ringo referring to this album as his accidental album, uh, since the project was sort of planned at the last minute, and many of his collaborators were in L.A. for other reasons. And this song is a massive case in point. So Harrison's there primarily to join Ringo and Lennon for business meetings at Capitol Records before producing a Ravi Shankar album that he was collaborating on. The band happened to be in L.A. to record Moondog Matt nay uh, and so the lineup on this track four members of the band levon helm on the mandolin robbie robertson on guitar rick danko on the fiddle and garth hudson on the accordion uh, and then you've got the great uh, multi-instrumentalist dave bromberg on banjo and mm-hmm. fiddle uh klaus vorman is playing an upright bass mm-hmm. uh, yeah mm-hmm. i mean really i mean a fun track a fun track to listen to now absolutely yeah yeah and, and lyrically I like it too. It's yeah. fun. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's a, a reference. The sail away Raymond reference was a reference to the first name of a lawyer that had been involved in the litigation between the Beatles and Paul oh. McCartney and Alan Klein. Oh. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. That's, that's great. So Harrison <laughs> says. Trivia. Yeah, Harrison says Raymond was in my mind at the time when he wrote it, and hence the instruction for him to sail away. George was a, a huge fan of the band back then as well i mean i remember uh reading about all things was past when he wrote that when he wrote that song he had the band in mind 
he wanted to uh, record a, a band-like version of it. Well, famously, uh, before Let It Be, and perhaps adding to uh, you know his uh, his acrimony, certain at the start, certainly at the start of the Let It Be sessions when they were at Twickenham, but uh, he had just come off of spending time in upstate New York, hanging out right. with the band and Bob Dylan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, big lover mm-hmm. of of that sort of style, and I think he loved their their style of collaboration as well. Uh, Robbie Robertson, his recollection of the session, he says uh, Harrison showed them the song, and he and his bandmates went into quote our mountain music mode. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so that uh, that worked, and then Ringo struck up a friendship with them as well. I remember he showed up at the band's last waltz in November of '76, a few years later. Uh, right. And, and I remember seeing uh, the first Ringo and the All Star Band tour in 1989, and I believe Lee Van Helm was was on drums for that tour. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, there were a couple of friendships struck up there. The the initial song was written uh, by George when he with his uh, with his wife at the time, Patty Boyd, and they were staying with the Scottish singer Donovan, uh, who'd been a friend of the Beatles since the mid '60s, right. and they were in uh, at an estate in Kilcullen, County Kildare, and uh, Harrison recalls composing the melody on an open tuned guitar. He says he wrote it to sound like an old. Irish folk song, a bit like country music. So I'd say he he probably hit the mark. There you go. He sure did. Little little autobiographical. Now, how autobiographical is is your music? And and just for example, um, you know, I've I've heard you say you know you write about what you know. I've heard you say that in another interview. But your 2008 album uh, described as a a, this is from your uh, your Bandcamp page a theatrical esoteric journey into a world of carnival illusion, heartbreak, melancholy, wit, and bitter double entendre. Uh, so you have a song on there, Lake Monona, last night, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. recounts the death of the great Otis Redding uh, from a plane Correct. crash into that lake on December 9th, 1967. So how autobiographical is that for you, and what inspired you to craft the song? Where did that come from? It's a, it's a fascinating song. I was, at the time, I was uh, in a, in a long-distance relationship with the woman who... Um, was living in Madison, Wisconsin. She lived in Toronto when we, we first met, but uh, and then she went off and got a, a a great job in Madison, Wisconsin. So we tried to to uh, retain a long distance relationship. So I went down there soon after she moved down there and uh, was reading up on Madison, Wisconsin, and that's when I realized that Lake Monona, where Otis Redding's plane went down is is there in madison and i thought wow that's you know that was that's great and so i started to work on this song a little bit Lord have mercy on the king of soul, soul. 
And then uh, soon after, um, well, she she dumped me, and so I I worked. I was able to work my feelings of um, of being dumped into the song. I'm not sure how I did that, but uh, it it seems to work. You know, uh, my heart crashing into Lake Monona. Um, Otis Redding's death and and the death of this of this relationship um, all work together in the one tune. Yeah, it, it, now, but it was it was funny because uh, like I'd look at that and it's interesting how you've you've woven in an autobiographical angle because I'd, I'd listen to some of your music and then I heard you in an interview say, no, I'm a I'm like, you know, 90 percent of what I'm paraphrasing, but 90 percent of what I write about is, is you know, is me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then. Which surprised me because I looked at that album and I initially thought, wow, he's, you know, sort of made up this whole concept of an album and and he's written a great song about the death of a, you know, a musical icon. But yet Mm -hmm. you're able to weave that in. So so you're a right about me guy. You're a John Lennon guy. I'll take that um, as a compliment. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I can't write about anything but but me or what happens in my life, my experiences. I, I can't, I mean, I can, but I find it's tougher to do that. And it's, for me, it's tougher to get a good song out of, out of, um, you know, uh, just, just his, not history, but um, fantasy or, or fiction. I, I can't, it's harder for me to do, to write fiction. So something like Eleanor Rigby uh, doesn't, like it does it because i mean that's just that's like a harold pinter play it's a made up it's a made up thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but that's not your thing that's not my i wish it could be my thing but it's it's not my thing yeah i have to really um and unfortunately you know a lot of the experiences i read about are are, uh not not the happiest um so it's and again it's hard for me to write a happy song Well, look for the song, uh, dear Lake Monona. Last night, uh, it's it's really good, and it's a sideshow unattraction is uh, is the is the album to look for. Uh, so we reach the final cut on side one of this album, Ringo, and uh, you were you were lukewarm on it. You're sixteen. <laughs> Well, you know, as, as a kid, when this was all over the radio, I loved this tune. You know, I thought it was great. Um, now, you know, 50 years later, whatever, um, it's, you know, it's still fun, but uh, I'm nothing against the song. It's written by a couple of great writers who wrote amazing songs. Um, the Sherman Brothers, right? Who wrote, I think, a lot of the, well, a lot of uh, movie songs, a lot of the Walt Disney songs songs written by them so they a lot of, they wrote a lot of great songs it's just you know for me it just doesn't hit me it's a richard sherman and robert sherman the two writers uh it was the second single taken off the album and you're right it was everywhere it hit number one in the billboard chart uh, so that was back to back number ones for ringo on billboard no other beetle had done that at the time number two on canada's rpm chart number four on the uk singles chart uh number one in new zealand he was he was big in new zealand that was number one record there as well uh, and it, it's it's a cover cover song, of course. McCartney, uh, 
provides the the mouth sax solo thing. Yes, that's I think that's a great thing about the song. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Paul McCartney's mouth sax solo. He's not known for his mouth sax solos, but this one is a great one. It, it, well, it, I mean, if you want a mouth sax solo, there's only one guy. Like, like right. you're, Paul, Paul. you're yeah. only making one call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some thought it was a kazoo, but uh, Richard Perry, uh, the producer, says, nope. He goes, uh, the solo on your 16, which sounds like a kazoo or something, was Paul singing very spontaneously as we played the track back. So he's singing solo on that. Uh, got a tip uh, tip of the cap uh, to Harry Nilsson with the amazing background oh. vocals. Yeah, right. Uh, Ringo and Harry were best pals back then, too. And, and I think, uh, you know, I listened to those, I think there's two, two Harry Nilsson albums that Richard Perry produced, um, Nilsson Schmilson and Son of Schmilson. And those are, those are phenomenal records as well. Really great pop albums. And they're very, in a way, very similar to the Ringo album, I think. I mean, you know, Richard Perry has his production style, so, mm-hmm. uh, but very similar. And uh, both artists are very, uh, they're fun. To listen to a lot of fun songs off the wall i think ringo i think he must have picked up a couple of a couple of things off of harry you know like just the way the the, the whole album ends i think is very harry nelson oh yes 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 for sure um mm-hmm. and then the, the great uh, session player nikki hopkins on the piano i i, I love that uh that thing uh, the sort of up and down the scale thing he does uh, when the song's fading oh, i love that oh yeah 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 that's great i forgot about that yeah you're right yeah, yeah. yeah. Dun, 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 dun. that's great pretty cool <laughs> Okay, I like this song again. Okay. I don't know. This is a great song. It's, I'm, I'm expecting a cover of a, a cover of it on your next record. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe uh, Moberg could do the backing vocals. That'd be, That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll call up Paul for the amount. Uh, for the amount. Sure, I'll do it. Only one. I told you, one guy. Only one call. Exactly. Only one call. Yeah, I'm sure he'll do it. What a side one, though. Uh, I mean, that oh, is yeah. that is uh, that is an incredible side one for me. Not not one clunker. Uh, maybe there's one in the second side, but we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but just <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm curious what what that is for you. Well, we will just have to uh, wait and see. Build the suspense. We'll build the suspense for the next episode. <laughs> James, uh, thanks for this, and I will look forward to digging into side two with you. Yeah, right back at you. It's been, it's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Uh, I am always interested to know what you think, dear listener. What are your thoughts on our thoughts regarding Ringo, side one? Uh, does it hold up after all these years for you? Maybe you're just sort of a, a casual Beatles fan. You sort of like them, but you've never really given it a listen. I hope our discussion sends you in the direction of giving it a listen or giving it a listen again. It's a fun album, and uh, I hope I can send you back to to give it a listen and and uh, 
Who knows? Maybe it'll sound a little differently to you now than it did when you first heard it. You can join the conversation in several ways on the episode page for this podcast on my website, romicast.com. There is a comment section on each individual podcast page. Go to the bottom and uh, you can leave a comment there. That's one way. We can also interact on Twitter or Instagram. Romanuk Paul is the handle on both. And of course, there is always Facebook. Just do a search on Facebook for the Walrus Was Paul podcast page and you can leave a comment there. So do join us next time on the Walrus Was Paul podcast. James Clark and I will continue our discussion on Ringo as we look at side two of that album. Until then, you take care. Get tired of being Beatles. I play the drums, but I play a guitar, and I too play a guitar.